Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. I'd like to welcome everybody tonight that uh, didn't run away over the long weekend. So forth. Uh, now, just two or three uh, just quick things I need to mention uh, before we have uh, just uh, several of you just... Uh, Verbalize something that you felt you learned from last week. Uh, a couple of corrections from last week. If you've got your notes from last week, uh, on the textbook I mentioned it was John C. Maxwell. Uh, someone drew it to my attention. Not, uh, not uh, Chuck Swindle. So where I, I did a quote from uh, The Winning Attitude is John C. Maxwell. I need to correct that. And then also I mentioned, uh, I should have mentioned this way, but I think in the emotion of the moment I said it wrong. Brother, under, under Brother Dick Iveson, I learned what to do. Okay, so under the situation I was here, I learned what not to do, but under Brother Dick Iveson, I learned what to do. Okay, and then if you uh, were not here last week, I think we ran out of notes last week. We do have a few of the sheets on the platform here. Uh, that you can pick up at the end of the session. Also, they're also in the, uh, the tape room if you pick up the tape if you missed a session. All right, so just those quick uh, announcements there. All right, now tonight what we're going to deal with, as you'll see the title there, uh, Building Character or ha- and Handling Charisma. Just to be very honest with you, tonight is sort of one of those hard, hard, uh, tough messages that I, I uh, you know, just once every blue moon deal with. And uh, generally I deal, uh, deal with it in a leadership conference rather than in a setting like this. But because I am talking to a very mature congregation and a very intelligent congregation, I decided to risk it tonight. So I thought I'd start off with, uh, just by way of introduction here, I mentioned last week uh, the little book that I got years ago, and I said, every time I read it moves me to tears, so I, I haven't read it for a while, because I get crying a lot. Uh, Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards, I've got an old edition. So I thought just to start off with, by way of introductory here on your notes here, under his prologue he says, the Almighty, so just uh, try and get into the picture that uh, uh, Gene Edwards is sort of uh, uh, setting here. The Almighty living God turned to Gabriel. Go take these two portions of my being. The, there are two destinies waiting. To each of them uh, give one portion of myself. Carrying two shimmering, glowing, pulsating lights of life, Gabriel opened the door into the realm between two universes and disappeared. He had stepped into the mole of unborn destinies. The archangel addressed those waiting to be. I have here two portions of the nature of God. The first is the very cloth of his nature. When wrapped about you, it clothes you with the breath of God. As water water surrounds one who is within the sea, so does his very breath envelop you. With this, the wind that clothes you will have his power. Power to subdue armies, shame the enemies of God, and accomplish his work on the earth. Here is the power of God as a gift. Here is immersion into the spirit. A destiny stepped forward. This portion of God is for me. True, replied the angel, and remember whoever receives such a portion as this will be known by many. Ere your earthly pilgrimage is done, your true character will be known. Such is the destiny of all who wear and wield this portion. For it touches only the outward man, affecting the inner man, not one whip. The first destined one received and stepped back. Gabriel spoke again. I have here the second of two elements of the living God. This is not a gift but an inheritance. A gift is worn on the outer man, an inheritance is planted deep inside like a seed. 
Yet even though it is such a small planting, this planting grows and in time fills all the inner man. And then another destiny step forward. I believe this element is to be mine for my earthly pilgrimage. True, responded the angel again. I must tell you that what has been given you is a glorious thing. The only element in the universe known to God or angels that can change the human heart. Yet even this very element of God cannot accomplish its task, nor can it grow and fill your entire inner being unless it is compounded well. It must be mixed lavishly with pain, sorrow and crushing. The second destined one received and stepped back. Beside Gabriel sat the recording angel. He dutifully entered into his ledger the record of the two destinies. And who shall these destinies become after they go through the door to the visible universe? Asked the recording angel. Gabriel replied softly, each in his time shall be a king. Now the way I put it tonight is character or charisma. All right, I've got to move reasonably through our outline and, and sort of divide my time up on what I, I, I need to spend the most time on. So let's just sort of, because I am talking to a very intelligent congregation who know their Bible, uh, we'll go back to the beginning. Now, as I said uh, at the beginning here, this is probably one of the hardest type of messages I, I share. And as I said, I generally share it just in a leadership conference and uh, was hesitant to do it tonight. The more I prayed about it, the more I felt, yes, it's right. And I've just asked the Lord to give me wisdom on some things I have to mention, particularly because of some of our younger people here as well. I just want to have wisdom how I handle some things here. All right, so um, go back to the beginning, letter A. And I've just got a brief, uh, few brief fill-ins here and just, uh, just on outline until I get to the heart of uh, what I want to share. So when God created man in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, we have the account of God's original man and God's original woman. We call them Mr. and Mrs. Adam, or Adam and Eve as they're generally known. All right, now there was a fourfold purpose, okay, so I'm going to move through this reasonably quickly here, but a fourfold purpose that God had in the creation of man. Number one, the first reason God created man was for fellowship or relationship. So two words you can put in there. So fellowship, God, you know, in the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but God wanted to create some being that he could have fellowship with. So number one, God's fourfold purpose in the creation of man and woman. Number one, he created man for fellowship or relationship. Number two, second reason God created man was that man might have dominion or rulership. So dominion or rulership, this has to do with function. So God said, let's make man in our image after, after our likeness. Let him have dominion uh, and rule over the earth and so forth. So dominion, rulership. The third part uh, we were created for was reproduction or fruitfulness. So God says to man, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, fill up the earth. And uh, uh, we, I can't sidetrack too much, but... Uh, God's original intention was that Adam and Eve reproduced themselves, and if the sin hadn't have bombed us out, uh, then this whole earth would have been filled with a, a, uh, a creation of sinless beings. That was God's original intention. How many feel you'd like to see that in your kids? I mean, when I used to belt Mark, I said, I'm belting your mother out of your son. <laughs> oh. 
But remember, the man was the worst sinner because he was not deceived. Okay, all right, back to, back to the Bible. All right, number four, and this is one of the things we're looking at tonight. The fourth thing that God created man for was to create man with character. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And when we're talking about the image and likeness of God, we're talking about character. Okay, so that was God's original intention. As I said, you know, if someone said to me, Kevin, over you know, the 55 years you've been involved in ministry, what, what would be probably the most important message that you would share? And what I'm sharing with, with you tonight would be the most important message, as I hope you'll see by the uh, end of our time together. Because you see, in dealing with the whole issue of character and charisma, uh, many times people today are deceived by charisma. And don't watch a person's character. I've got on my notes here. See, what a person is before God counts more than what a person does for God. And let me say that again. So what a person is before God counts more than what a person does for God. One more time. What a person is before God counts more than what a person does for God. And the Bible shows us that being is more important than doing. So being is more important than doing. All right, so God's original purpose in creating man, fellowship, relationship, dominion, uh, rulership, reproduction or fruitfulness, and number four, uh, man to be in the image and likeness of God or dealing with character. All right, in Genesis chapter uh, 5, verse 1 to 3, uh, letter B we're moving to now. We have the, uh, the, what happened in the fall, and uh, maybe I'll just turn to this, and if you want to turn to it quickly, you can. Genesis chapter 5. All right, Genesis chapter 5 and verse 1 and 2, and it says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the, God, uh, in the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them. And bless them and call their name Adam in the day when they created. And notice the change now in verse 3. And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. So what has happened now? Sin has entered in chapter 3. And so instead of being in the image and likeness of God, now Adam's son uh, Seth is in his own image and uh, likeness. In other words, we have a fallen image. In his image, in his likeness, in the image of the earthly Adam. And, and, and the issue is, it's a fallen image and sin marred man's character. So sin marred man's character. So man has the image of God in him, but it's a fallen image. So God's purpose, the whole purpose of God in redemption, is simply to restore man back to everything that we lost in Adam. You're, you're allowed to say amen now and then. So God wants to bring us back to fellowship, to relationship. He wants to bring us back where we are rulers and not ruled over, where we have dominion rulership, where we're fruitful in our life and where we have the character and image of God stamped on our being. Uh, so we, we see this here. God, you know, took uh, through, through the Bible history certain men and women there. Uh, they were redeemed. We think of godly men like Abraham, not perfect, but uh, good character qualities. Joseph, as we looked at last week. Uh, Joshua, great man of God. Daniel, 
Uh, Esther is a godly woman. Uh, so all these men redeemed and God was bringing them back to relationship, back to fellowship, back to dominion, back to reproduction and back to his character. So sin has ruined those things. All right, now let me go to C here. And just give you a brief, uh, I'll say a little bit and then give you a a little brief uh, statement here. Um, Just a definition of character and charisma. That's what we're looking at tonight. Building character, handling charisma. God has both. And as we read in uh, Tale of Three Kings, uh, he's going to give to one person character. He's going to give to another person charisma. How can we handle All right, so I'm just quoting a little bit from Strong's here. You can just listen to this little part, and then I'll give you a sentence that you might be able to take down. In uh, Strong's and Cordon's, uh, we have the Greek word for character, and it's only actually used once in the Bible. Uh, Maybe uh, we'll turn to that later on. But uh, the Greek word character, C-H-A-R-A-K-T-R, means a graver, the tool, or the person. And by implication, the figure stamped, an exact copy or figurative representation. And then Webster's Dictionary puts it this way, uh, a distinctive mark, a distinctive trait, quality or attribute, essential quality, nature, an individual's pattern of behavior or personality, moral constitution. And uh, most firms used to want a character reference before they employed you. But uh, with, uh, you know, discrimination, all this type of thing, people don't seem to worry too much about character. Uh, It also means to impress or to imprint, to infix, to make a deep or permanent impression. So there are definitions from Strong's and Cordon's and Webster's. All right, now here's a sentence from my uh, son-in-law, Frank DeMozzo, that I like very much, and you might like to take this down. Character is the sum total of the positive and negative qualities in a person's life. I think that's a very good definition, so let me say that again. Character is the sum total of the positive and negative qualities in a person's life. He goes on to say that it's exemplified by one's thoughts, motivations, attitudes, feelings and behavior. I'm going to be picking that up later on. So I'll say that sentence again. So character is the sum total of the positive and negative qualities in a person's life. Or just to put it in a simple way, character is just really who you are as a person. When we, when we talk about the character of God, we're thinking of who God is as a person. God has power, but God has character. God has charisma, God has character. And because of his character, he can handle the charisma, which we'll define in a moment. So let me say that sentence again. So character is the sum total of the positive and negative qualities in a person's life. Character is really who a person is. So when we speak of the character of God, we're speaking of the very nature and being of God, the moral qualities of God. All right, so that's just a good definition, a summary of the word character. Let's go now to number two. And I know I'm moving through this reasonably quickly because I want to get to the the heart of my message here. So charisma. The word uh, charisma is a a Greek word, charis, C-H-R-I-S, and it simply means a grace gift. So a gift or grace gift. So uh, charismatic, so a gifted person we think of. So the Greek word charisma, which I've got there, it means a gift, a gift or power bestowed by the Holy Spirit. So charisma, 
a gift or, uh, or power bestowed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, in Strong's and Corns, it, uh, it, def- it defines the word charisma as a spiritual endowment, a spiritual endowment, a gift, or a miraculous faculty given by God by the Holy Spirit. So I'll say that one more time here. So in Strong's and Corns, charisma, it's a spiritual endowment, a gift, a miraculous faculty given by God or by the Holy Spirit. So when we speak of the gifts of the Spirit, as was being shared last night and this morning, uh, we talk about the gifts of the Spirit. We're talking about the charisma or charismatic, the gifts of the Spirit, uh, a working of miracles and so forth. And uh, it's interesting how the world today has taken this expression, talks about, oh, well, uh, that prime minister, he's real charismatic whatever they mean by that. Uh, he's got a very charismatic personality. What I want to know, what God wants to know, has he got character? Because people are swept away by charisma, charismatic person, a gifted personality, a persuasive speaker. Let's go now to letter D, and I want to sort of move here into the heart of what I want to share. Now, it's really important for us uh, under letter D, what I've got here is understanding distinctions and uh, what I'm talking about is just understanding the distinction, uh, distinction between character and charisma. Uh, yeah, as I said, character is what I am or what you are, and charisma is more what I do or what, you, what a person does. So I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 7 here. I'd, I'd like you to look at your Bible on this because uh, you've got a bit of fill in on this one. Everybody doing Okay. Now, over, over the years, and what I'm going to share with you uh, uh, in, a, in a little while here, this has been one of those tough, tough scriptures for me that uh, I, I had, for a long time I felt I didn't have an answer, and I want to submit that answer to you and hope it clicks with you. But uh, let's, let's just read the passage, Matthew 7 and verses 15 through to 20, uh, 23. So, and I'm reading from the old authorized because uh, I've got certain words underlined. Okay, Matthew 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. So where did they get the sheep's clothing from? They must have scunned somebody alive. <laughs> scunned somebody alive. Sometimes when I travel and go to a different place and they say, oh, I'm a good shepherd. I say, well, you know, shepherds take the wool off the people, but they don't skin the sheep alive. What are all these sheepskins hanging around your church building for? You're not a shepherd, you're a butcher. Um, so those places only get there twice, first and last time, for some uncanny reason. All right, so beware of false prophets. It's a religious thing. False prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing. So they must have scunned some sheep alive to get their clothing. But you can tell them by their accent. Inwardly, they are ravening wolves. When they open their mouth, something doesn't click. And I'm sure you can all say amen to this. Uh, you know, when God says uh, we're sheep, how many of you know he's not giving us a compliment? That's your question. When God says, oh, we like sheep are going straight, do you think he's giving us a compliment? Not really, because sheep are dumb. <laughs> so it's not a compliment, I but we're dumb, but we're not altogether stupid. Because I worked on a farm and, you know, worked with sheep and so forth. And, and they could tell the shepherd's voice. But they were dumb because they could always find a hole in the fence to get out. But they could never find that same hole in the fence to get back in. <laughs> dumb, dumb, dumb. 
And all the sheep here said, Amen. Come on. All right, I better get back off this. Okay. So beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, wherefore by their fruits, not by their gifts, you will know them. Okay, by their fruits you'll know them. Now let's go to verse 21 and tw- uh, to 23. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, and in your name have cast out devils, uh, demons, and in your name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, or you who practice lawlessness. How many have read that scripture over the years and sort of been troubled by it? I mean, just me? Anybody else? Okay, I ask you a question, so answer me. Okay, thank you. All right, so this is one of those scriptures that really troubled me, and uh, something that happened in, well, not in my life, just over my years that I... I had to seek the Lord on, and what I'm sharing with you tonight sort of drove me to look at this, say, Lord, help me on this. All right, now, on your fill-in, I want you to put this down. Now, uh, I've got a little outline there. Verses 15 to 20 is dealing with fruit. And the word fruit is used in my translation at least seven times. So when we're talking about fruit, we're talking about the inner nature and character of the tree. You judge a tree's root by its fruit. So I know what the root is by the fruit. So when we're dealing with fruit, we're talking about the inner nature and character of the tree. In other words, you can put the word down there, what's internal? So for you fill in there, number one, the word fruit is used seven times. By their fruits, you'll know them. So what are we talking about when we say fruit? What's the fruit of that man's ministry? Not talking about gifts now. Fruit. Okay, seven times the word fruit. And then the second thing that Jesus said here, number two for your fill-in, is not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, so forth, but he that does the will of God, or does the will of my Father which is in heaven. So number one, By their fruit you know them, fruit used seven times. And number two, doing the will of God. And you know, I I want to encourage you through these sessions to, you know, the only thing any of us are accountable for is did we do the will of God? Not whether you, you know, planted a hundred churches or raised the dead or had all the nine, 29 gifts of the Spirit. Did you do the will of God? That's all I'm accountable for. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. That's all you're individually accountable for is did you do the will of God? Not did you do what Kevin Connor was supposed to do or anybody else. It's just did you do the will of God? So once you see that, it takes out all that struggle and striving and frustration, trying to be and do something that you're not called to be. So I'm just doing the will of God. Washing dishes, working, being a housewife, whatever, in the office, just doing the will of God. That's all any of us are accountable for. Can you say amen on that? So the will of God. So number one, fruit. And remember, fruit is the outward manifestation of the inward nature and character of the tree. Let me say that again. So fruit is the outward manifestation 
of the inward nature and character of the tree. So by their fruits you'll know them. So one more time. So fruit is the outward manifestation of the inward nature and character of the tree. Now let's go over to the other side. So when we're talking about fruit here, we're talking about character. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the nature and character of God. So character, fruit. Now when you go down to verse 21 to 23, we're dealing with gifts, not fruit. So if you mark it in your Bible, verse 15 through to 20, bit of 21 there is dealing with fruit. And verse 21 through to 23 is dealing with gifts. Now I've broken up the little phrases in the verse, as you'll see in due time what for. Number one, when this group stands before the Lord, whoever they are, that's what we're going to look at together. Number one, they call Jesus Lord. Lord, Lord. So number one, for you fill in there. Lord, Lord. And no one can say Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 3. So they're standing before the Lord on that great day, and not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord. So no man can say Jesus is Lord, but by the Spirit. All right, number two, the second thing they said, have we not prophesied? So number two, these people, whoever they are, they prophesied. And prophecy is a gift of the Spirit. So prophecy, number 2, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 4 to 11. Gift of prophecy to one is given by the Spirit, gift of prophecy. Then number 3, the third thing we take out of those verses is, uh, have we prophesied uh, in your name? Note the emphasis, they, these people did all this in, in his name. Uh, in my name. Many will say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? In your name, we've cast out, in your name, we've done many wonderful works. So, in your name. So, these people use the name of Jesus. Uh, and Mark 16, you can put down verse 17 to 20. Mark 16, verse 17 to 20. Uh, These signs shall follow them that believe in my name, that cast out devils, heal the sick, and so forth, speak in tongues, so forth. So, in your name. Number four, the next thing I want you to note that these people say, uh, in your name we have cast out demons. So, exorcism, casting out demons. And that's another uh, sign in Mark 16. In my name they shall cast out demons. So, Casting out demons. And then the final one, number five, is uh, in your name we've done many wonderful works. And these wonderful works are actually dunamis. It has to do with uh, miracles, the miraculous. So these people, in your name, we've done many works of energy. Many miraculous works. Another gift of the Spirit. Alright, so five things that these people, when they stand before the Lord, they say, well, we call Jesus Lord, they prophesied, they did it all in his name, they cast out demons, and they work miracles. Now, the peculiar thing is here, verse 23, uh, and then will I profess unto them, or I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, or you who practice lawlessness. So... How many, I think I asked you this before, but how many sort of felt frustrated? What does this verse really mean? Who's it talking about? All right, let's look at it. Uh, i just check on my notes here. I ne- personally, I could, never could understand this question. And I asked the question, well, what does it mean? How could these people do these things if they, di- uh, you know, if they didn't know the Lord? Why did the Lord say to them, depart from me, I never knew you? Were they even Christians? 
All right, now, in the religious world, the evangelical school, the school of evangelicals who, who do believe in the Bible, this is what their answer to this is. You might have to scribble this on the back here. This is what they say. They say these people here were only professors of religion. That's what the evangelicals say. That they were only professors of religion and they were never really converted to Christ. And... They go on to say, this is why Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you. So he never knew them, so they couldn't have been Christians, so they were only professors of religion. And that's why Jesus said, I never knew. Put down the corresponding scripture here, uh, Luke chapter 13, Luke 13. Verses 27 to 29, Luke 13, 27 to 29. And this is a different situation except... The, the Lord's words at the end are the same. He says, depart from me, uh, you workers of iniquity. So the end result is the same. Just in this passage, he deals with gifts of the Spirit. All right, now, let me ask you a question as we sort of uh, come to try and solve this. Uh, has anybody ever, uh, ever heard uh, a sinner call Jesus Lord? Now, it's a very interesting thing in my uh, many, many years of living. I've heard people take the Lord's name in vain, say Jesus or Jesus Christ or Christ Almighty or something like that. But I've never, ever heard, ever, any sinner ever say, Lord Jesus Christ. Is anybody here? There is going to come a day where, when Paul says, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. See, they've never said that, but they're going to. I'd rather call him Lord now. Okay, so no sinner does that. Now, have you seen, secondly, have you seen sinners prophesy unconverted? Anybody got a prophecy from a sinner lately? <laughs> and uh, have you seen sinners minister and act in his name? Or have you seen sinners exercise... Ex uh, exorcise. I have exorcised some demons, uh, but that's another story. But exorcise demon spirits. Are sinners going around casting out demons? Find me one. And then, do you find sinners doing miraculous works? All right, so I went through that because uh, I would not hold the view that evangelicals hold that these were not believers, that they were not converted. These were, were believers, but let's look at who they were. All right, now. Yes, they, the question was, uh, was about these people that do do uh, miraculous things. There is power from witchcraft, but they're not doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the difference, a different power. Yes, so they were dealing with witchcraft power, and that is real too. All right, uh, okay, thank you. So I'll try, not, I'll try to make room at the end if we can. All right, so uh, what I'm saying here, it does not apply to those who are unsaved, to the unconverted. All right, second thing, it doesn't apply to those who are saved, like evangelical people who, and wonderful people who predominantly are cessationists. And by cessationists, we mean uh, a lot of the evangelicals, most of them for, for that matter, uh, believe and teach that the gifts of the Spirit are not for today and that they actually ceased 
with the, the completion of the New Testament canon of Scripture and cease with the death of the last of the twelve apostles, John, who wrote the book of Revelation. So most of the evangelical people, wonderful people, but they hold the cessationist theory that the gifts of the Spirit are not for today. They cease with the death of the apostle John and the completion of the New Testament canon of Scripture uh, written by John, the book of Revelation. Alright, so as I've studied this over the years, and I, I want to move in some case histories in a moment here, by process of elimination, it leaves the interpretation to one particular group. Now, as I said, I've, you know, I've been hesitant on this, but listen, to, listen out, listen, listen, you know, hear me out first, okay? It, it, it refers to Pentecostal or charismatic groups who believe and practice these things of the Spirit. Let me say that again. By process of elimination, so it's not referring to sinners, is not referring to evangelical believers who do not believe in these gifts of the Spirit particularly, or the supernatural because of the cessationist uh, theology. But by process of elimination, it leaves the interpretation to one particular group, the Pentecostal or charismatic group, who believe and practice these things. Call Jesus Lord, they prophesy in His name, cast out devils and do miraculous works. It refers to Pentecostal charismatics who have become apostate, I'll explain that soon, uh, apostate from the true faith of Christ. All right, now, let me just go over here, and I want to handle this part here. On your notes there, I, I, I haven't finished yet. Uh, on your notes there, I've got in, in parenthesis there, case histories. Everybody got that part? And uh, you may just have to listen to this and not write things down, because I said I want to handle this carefully. When, when I was... Um, Oh, when I was 25 years of age, young and handsome, uh, reasonably, um, I, I went for a trip to America with a particular minister. And uh, it was in the days of what we call, um, uh, just some of us oldies would know this, uh, what we call the voice of healing days. And there were amazing men of God in this, this period of time. Uh, such men, some of you may have heard of, as William Branham, uh, who the angel came to. A.A. Uh, uh, Allen, I went into his meetings where oil was coming out on, on our hands there. Um, uh, who else I've got? Some of these old Roberts in his uh, gl glamour days. T.L. Osborne, uh, Louise Nankerville, uh, Jack Coe, uh, O.L. Jaggers who went to his meeting, Tommy Hicks, who God used. Mighty, mighty men of God. And so I was just a kid, 24, 25 years of age, just, you know, wanting to see God break forth in Australia and see if we could get some of these ministries here. Well, as I was uh, going there for the few months there, and, you know, I, I'm a greenhorn, just to say the least, I found that in my traveling there, that there was what we call two streams. Now, I try to handle this as carefully as I can, not being pharisaical or, or anything like that, uh, because Paul says it's a shame to speak of some things that are done in secret. But I found that there was two, basically two streams. There was a clean stream and a dirty stream. There's a clean stream of ministries, and when we're in their meetings and just see the power of God there, under A.A. Allen, some of the people leap out of wheelchairs, so forth, just amazing things that were happening and those tent revivals and so forth. Then I found on the other side, which was the big shock to me, uh, was a, a very dirty stream. And uh, these, these group of preachers, and we had to check out the stream, these preachers, they would preach the gospel, people would get saved, healed, filled with the Spirit, amazing miracles, and yet behind the scenes, uh, they, they, they were in what we call dens of iniquity. 
They were involved in smoking, drinking, immorality, adultery, homosexuality, and all these type of things. And yet they go back into their campaigns and amazing miracles would happen. Now, for me, coming from Salvation Army background, and I thank God for my, my, that, my, one of my schools in Salvation Army background, I did learn that without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And I believe that has been a safeguard for me. How many can say amen on that? And so I couldn't, in my little mind there, uh, how, how can God use these guys to do all this, and yet behind the scenes, they're dealing, do, doing these things? And uh, I had people say to me, one or two, just say, Kevin, why don't you stop preaching so much of the Bible, so much word? Why don't you take a piano accordion, because I used to play them, the uh, lost chord, now I've lost all chords, but, uh, you know, take a piano accordion, go and tell them about Australia, the kangaroos and the koala bears, and hop across the platform like a kangaroo, and and." and use group dynamics. I said, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. All I've got is the Bible. Eh? And then just stop so much preaching the word. So my mind, it took me, when I came back to Australia after this, it took me over uh, six months to sort of recover mentally with a shock. Because So how can these people operate the gifts of the Spirit and not live a life of holiness? How can they have this charisma and yet not have character. That's what stumped me. And then uh, at that time, there was a philosophy called, well, I'm going to have to move, philosophy of greasy grace. And uh, this was the doctrine. Once in grace, always in grace. Uh, Always in grace, even if you live in disgrace. Once saved, always saved. And they abused Paul's doctrine of grace, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So this group of people and preachers taught, okay, Paul said, the more... Uh, where, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So the more we sin, the more we'll experience the grace of God. So it's called greasy grace, slip right into hell. They didn't read Paul aright because Paul says, Shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. If we have died to sin, we cannot live any longer in sin. And, uh, and Jude says, uh, they turned the grace of God into lasciviousness, yet they were operating the, ca- the charismata, the gifts of the Spirit. Now, as I said, that was a shock to my whole system. How could they do those things? Uh, and yet, you know, without wholeness, no man will see the Lord. Now, in the Australian scene, and I'm just going to, because it's a shame to speak of, love these things, I personally have had to handle some of these things of ministers who have been built big churches here, operated the gifts of the Spirit, and you're behind the scene involved with so many people. Um, as I said, I'm trying to be careful how I say this. One person I had to deal with, he was involved with 12 people in his church. Mother and daughter at the end. Another man I had to deal with who said I was his covering, 18 women in his church. A mother and daughter at the last. And I, I, it is just too, it would almost be pornographic to tell you some of the cases I personally had to deal with here in Australia. And yet these people have operated the gifts of the Spirit and everything like that and get behind the scene living like this. So I said, Lord, how, 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 how? You know, the Scriptures are so clear on this and we've got to face this, saints. You know, we talk about you've got to be politically correct. I believe we have to be biblically correct. And we've got to face it, saints. Uh, You see, Jesus said, Two women will be grinding in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. A woman in the Bible represents a church. And we've got to face it today, saints. I want to be biblically correct. That's all about it. 
we see the two women in formation today. We see the church, the bride of Christ, and we see the great harlot church in formation. Heaven can say amen. Don't get mixed up with the wrong girl. And so what is happening, as we see in, in, in America, California, and other places, Pentecostal homosexual churches who are teaching these type of things. And you pardon me being strong on this, won't you? But you see, they say that Jesus and John were homosexuals. Jonathan David, where it says, their love surpassed the love of, woman, of, of women. They were homosexuals. And they're talking about Jesus being married to Mary, had two wives. So this thing, and they lay hands on people, prophesy, speak in time. Hey, I know some of these things are a shock, but we're talking about, you know, which part of God do we want? Character of charisma. See, gifts of the Spirit are no evidence of holiness. Shock, shock, shock. It was, it was for me. Gifts of the Spirit, no evidence of holiness. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You can think of Samson. Spirit of the Lord would come upon Samson. Next minute he did run off with someone. Then the Spirit of the Lord would come upon him again. Charisma, devoid of character. And next minute he'd run off with someone else. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Uh, be ye holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. How, how much teaching do you hear in the church today on holiness? If you talk about holiness, ah, oh, that's legalism. You're pharisaical. Hey, but the Bible says without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Is that right? And then we sing all these wonderful songs, holy, holy, holy. But the Lord says, you be holy, for the Lord your God is holy. And then Paul says, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. See, holiness has to do with character. God's character is holiness. Thrice holy God. Holy is, the, is holiness. So, when we think of what's happening, uh, yeah, on so many things, what are we going to do? Sorry to have to say this, but uh, I, think the, I think the lines are drawn, saints. I think when we think of some of the Anglican ordaining homosexuals, some of the Uniting Church, even some of the Baptists discussed the thing in the last recent years, sorry to say. Someone said, you're wrong, Kevin said, hey, I got it here. What are you going to do with that? Presbyterian, is this really the bride of Christ? Or are we going by charisma and not by character? That's what I'm talking about. Everybody hear me? All right, uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to finish this tonight. Is this all right? I told you it was a heavy session. Okay, so when I struggle through all this, and I, I have so many cases, it is unbelievable. It's just uh, almost pornographic to even talk about it. But we've just got to do it. Okay, now, I want you to go over to Ezekiel chapter 18, because when I came back, a young man, 25, I, I really was in total confusion mentally. I said, God, how can these people have gifts of the Spirit, which I long for? And we want the gifts of the Spirit. How I many can say amen? But at the expense of what? So when I came back, it took me months, probably at least six months to sort of regroup, because I just wanted out of the ministry. I said, I don't want it. I don't want to be involved in that. Uh, forget it. And then the Lord gave me this scripture. And listen to him. We'll try and pull this part together. Okay, let's go to Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel 18. And uh, you've got it on your notes there, verse 19 to 30. Now, I'll try and uh, condense it a little bit because that little clock just keeps... To, uh, 
keeps pushing along. Uh, the, the, the prophet Ezekiel, you know, is hearing the, uh, the children of the uh, house of Judah particularly. And they're saying uh, the way of God is not equal. Now, we referred to this one uh, a couple of verses uh, previously. But pick up in verse 19. Yet you say, why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? Because the son has done what is lawful and right and has kept all my statutes and observed them. He shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. Son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a, now listen carefully to this. But if a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statutes and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him because of the righteousness which he has done. He shall live. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? But... When a a righteous man, listen now carefully, turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness or the iniquity which he is guilty and the sin which he has committed because of them he shall die. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not fair, it's not equal. Old King James says, Hear now, O house of Israel, is, it not, is not my way equal, and your ways are not fair, unequal? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and his underline this next part, and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he's done that he dies. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he has committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive. All right, now, and then verse 29. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not equal. O house of Israel, are not my ways equal? Are not your ways unequal? Let's, uh, let's just look at something here. All right, say, for instance, a little bit of theology here. Uh, say, say, for instance, we had a pair of scales here, something like this. And uh, the, 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 the Lord is talking about two groups here. So on one hand, we have the wicked. So he says, if a wicked man turns from his wickedness and turns to the Lord and does what is lawful and right, what does it say? None of his wickedness shall be remembered. God will only remember what he does righteous. How many, how many are glad for that? I mean, you think of the dying thief. I was a deathbed repentance, and he came to Christ. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That was a revelation because Jesus looked anything but Lord, let alone have a kingdom. And so when a wicked man turns away from his wickedness and does what is right, none of his wickedness shall be remembered. How many are glad that? So a man may live, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years of age in wickedness and then a deathbed repentance, come to the Lord. None of his wickedness shall be remembered, only his faith, righteousness in Christ. I mean, isn't that the mercy of God? I mean, it really is. But now, the opposite is true. So on one side of the scales, the wicked... And he turns from his wickedness. None of his wickedness shall be remembered. Grace of God, only his righteousness. And he lives, he receives eternal life. Now God says the other side of the scale is true. And you see, this is where, sorry to say, if I'm treading on corns, we'll have a healing campaign at the end. 
that once saved, always saved, once in grace, always in grace, even if you live in disgrace, it's not, it's not biblical. You can't abuse the grace of God. So what does the prophet say? Hey, my ways are equal, your ways are unequal. And so what does he go on to say? Now, if a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, I want you to note the use of the word here, commits iniquity, and the key is, and dies in them, None of his righteousness shall be remembered on his wickedness. Now, I don't think that's a frightening thing. So, you say, oh, well, Kevin, that's not uh, putting fear into people. It's good, healthy fear. Right? So, think a person may live 60, 70, 80 years, and then at the last, they lapse into iniquity and the abominations of the wicked and dies in them, None of their righteousness shall be remembered. So are God's ways equal? Yes. Because he does it for the wicked, he does it for the righteous. Now, shocking, but you see, it answered this. Because when these people stand before the Lord, that's why I say, and I, I sort of have to say this, and oh, can I continue this next week? Is, is that all right? It's not exciting jumping up and down type of material. Hallelujah. <laughs> but it is good Bible. All right, so, uh, so yeah, so uh, God's ways are equal. So what has happened is that if the righteous man, so when the Lord says, and these stand before him, Lord, Lord, have we not done many wonderful works in your name? Uh, prophesied, cast out demons, healed the sick, and so forth, wonderful works. And when the Lord says to them, depart from me, I never knew you, ye workers of iniquity, he's talking to that group. Okay, now let me say something here and I'll sort of try and pull something together here. Okay, there is a difference. It's a, it's a good, healthy fear for all of us not to abuse the grace of God. Okay, so what happened, put it this way. When the Lord says, you workers of iniquity, they have become apostate. Now, let's, uh, let's do this part. Uh, it's not on your notes, but we'll say it here. There's a difference between a backslider and an apostate. Okay, let me explain that. Okay, difference between a backslider and an apostate. A backslider can come back to the Lord, but an apostate cannot come back to the Lord. Let me give you two uh, character illustrations to illustrate this. Okay, so the difference between a backslider and an apostate A backslider can repent and come back to the Lord, but an apostate cannot because he crosses that mysterious line that only God knows and he can't come back to the Lord. All right, let me give you a couple of characters that illustrate it. Okay, who were the first two kings anointed by Samuel in the Old Testament? Saul and David. That's very interesting. That's what Taylor Three Kings is about. Saul received charisma, but he was lacked character. David had character, except that one blot on his life there, kicked himself forever afterward and became the repentance. You see, David was a backslider and came back to the Lord in deep repentance. Saul was an apostate and committed suicide. He ended up in spiritism and the Holy Spirit departed from Saul. 
Very clear. So Saul was an apostate. David was a backslider. Saul crossed that mysterious line. Holy Spirit left him and he ended up committing suicide. All right, let's go come across now for our last try and wrap up a few things here. Um, Come across to the New Testament. There were two of, of, of the 12 apostles. There were two apostles that I want to draw your attention to. Peter was a backslider. How many know that when Jesus gave him not a dirty look, what sort of a look did Jesus give Peter? Enough that broke something in Peter that needed to be broken. He went out and wept bitterly. He came back to the Lord. Peter was a backslider, but repented and came back to the Lord. The other apostle, also called by the Lord, Judas, he was an apostate. And like King Saul, he also committed suicide because he crossed that mysterious line. So I wanted to say that just to balance some of the heavy statements I've, I've been saying tonight, that there's hope for backslider come to repentance, return to the Lord, as it has in so many cases that I also know. But uh, for an apostate, once he crosses that line, he can't. All right, so these people here have become apostates. They are, sorry to say it, but I believe they are Pentecostal apostates. And they were saying that day, Lord, we've had the gifts of the Spirit, we've done this, we prophesied, we had homosexual churches, we were Pentecostal. And the Lord will say to them, workers of iniquity, you practice iniquity, I don't know you. All right, I'm going to have to sort of wrap some things up. Um, how will I do it? Do, does that help anybody? It's not something to jump up and down about. Let's go to letter E and we'll finish on the... Let's... Uh, Uh, no, I'll just, I'll just uh, have to leave that bit. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, I just can't do it without messing it up. All right, let's finish on letter E. Okay, let's finish on letter E. Our time's really up. But just uh, something to help us here. <clears throat> the difference between character and reputation We need to distinguish between character and reputation. Character is what you are. Reputation is what people think you are. So character is what you are. And reputation is what people think you are. Another statement. Character lives on the inside of a person. Reputation lives on the outside of a person. So character is what you really are. Reputation is what people think you are. Character lives on the inside of a person. Reputation lives on the outside of a person. Make our... Right, yes. Mm -hmm. Because character is what you are. Okay, listen to my final statement here for tonight anyway. People can ruin your reputation, but they cannot ruin your character. Now, we talk about character assassination. Now, believe it or not, I know it's hard to believe. I have a bad reputation in some places. And I used to defend my reputation, do my best. But you see, 
Only sin can ruin your character. People can ruin your reputation, but only sin can ruin your character because that's what messed it up with Adam. So while we often guard our reputation, let's guard our character, what we are before God. All right, we'll have to hold it there. Sorry about that. How many of you got something out of tonight? Are you still smiling? How many would like to have to deliver a message like this? Hey, but I'm supposed to be telling you lessons I've learned along the way. And these are the lessons I've learned along the way. Okay. All right, let's, uh, let's all stand. Thank you. Don't know how we'll do this. Because uh, I want to tell you how to build character. <laughs> Come back next week for this exciting episode. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books, and his ministry.